Hello, welcome back. Today, we continue our drug facts series with a discussion on cocaine. I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Kyle Campman, addiction specialist and professor of psychiatry at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you, Dr. Campman, for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Let's get started. So first, can you talk a little bit about the history of cocaine? Okay. So cocaine is an alkaloid. It's a chemical derived from the leaf of the coca plant. Now, the coca plant grows in South America, and actually 90% of the cocaine used in the United States comes from Colombia. And cocaine, in some form, has been used by people for the past 1,500 years. And the traditional way to use it is to chew coca leaves. And chewing coca leaves results in stimulation, but doesn't cause the euphoria that you get from from using cocaine. It's more like a cup of coffee. Cocaine itself, the chemical, was isolated by a German chemist named Albert Niemann. And this occurred around 1860. And the use of cocaine uh, spread rapidly throughout Europe. And it was encouraged by a lot of different scientists, including Sigmund Freud. Um, He used it to treat a number of illnesses, including morphine addiction, alcohol addiction, nervous exhaustion, hysteria, and hypochondriasis, just a bunch of illnesses. And it was also used recreationally um, at the time. And cocaine epidemics have just come and gone since then. Generally, cocaine is welcomed initially as a harmless or at least a less harmful alternative to the current recreational drugs used at the time, usually alcohol or opiates. And then subsequent complications of cocaine use, not the least of which is addiction, um, generally cause the epidemic to fade after several years. So it starts in Europe in the 1850s, really gets started in the United States around uh, 1900. And cocaine is a local anesthetic and a vasoconstrictor. So it stops blood flow. And so surgeons actually like to use it especially the eye surgeons in, in the early days, because it would numb people and they would bleed less during their operations, um, was used a lot in medications over the counter. You got to remember in the 1900s, uh, this was the era when all medications and drugs were over the counter. So heroin was available over the counter and so was cocaine. And cocaine got used in things like toothache drops where it would numb teeth and gums and also got used in a lot of stimulating type medications. So uh, it got used for that and recreationally. And in the 1800s, especially in Europe, cocaine was actually added to wine. And that was how it was used recreationally. It was um, cocaine fortified wine. In the United States, of course, it made it to some uh, recreational products, including initially Coca-Cola, where the stimulant that was in it was cocaine for a few years and then got switched over to caffeine. And so There was a cocaine epidemic in the early 1900s in the United States. It faded, came back in the the 1970s and 80s, and we're actually at the the end of our current epidemic, uh, which started back in 1985 and has just kept going until today. And what is the prevalence of cocaine use in the United States today? Um, The prevalence of cocaine use in the United States sort of peaked in in 1985, where he had about 5 million regular users. That means people have used within the past month. And that's declined to about 2 million users, and it's stayed that way since about 1990. So it's it's a fairly commonly used drug. What are the different forms of cocaine, and how are they used? You know, when when my guys, the, the patients that I take care of, you talk about cocaine powder or you talk about crack cocaine, um, and that's generally what it's called. And that just refers to the two different forms 
uh, of cocaine that are available. Cocaine hydrochloride, which is the traditional form of cocaine, is a white powder. And this white powder is either snorted, taken up through your nose, or it can be dissolved in water and injected. Or, of course, it can be taken as orally, like cocaine-fortified wine. And that's cocaine hydrochloride. That's white powder cocaine. Crack cocaine is a type of cocaine where the cocaine hydrochloride is chemically altered. And in the chemical process, the chloride ion is stripped away from it, and it turns the cocaine from a weak acid to a weak base. So it's chloride-free, and it's a base, so it's called free-base cocaine. And this turns the cocaine powder into a sort of a semi-opaque crystal. And the difference between cocaine powder and crack or crystal cocaine is that the cocaine crystal uh, vaporizes at a fairly low temperature, and it can be smoked. And the, the sound it makes when you smoke the cocaine crystals uh, makes a cracking noise. So it's called crack cocaine. So freebase cocaine or crack cocaine are, are essentially the same things. Hmm. So how exactly does cocaine work on the brain? And how is its effect different from the effect of methamphetamine? Okay. So brain cells, neurons work electrically. You, they get stimulated and they send electrical impulse down to the end of the neuron. And at the end of the neuron, it communicates with the next neuron down the chain by releasing a chemical called a neurotransmitter. And these neurotransmitters cross a small gap between the two neurons called the synapse, and then they activate the subsequent neuron and the brain impulse continues on. And what happens to these neurotransmitters is once they activate the other neuron, they get sucked back in to the initial neuron that they came from through transporters. And each neurotransmitter has its own transporter. So there's a dopamine transporter, a norepinephrine transporter, and serotonin transporter. And what cocaine does is it blocks the reuptake of all three of those neurotransmitters. So what essentially, if you block the reuptake of the neurotransmitter, it just sits in that synapse and continues to activate that subsequent brain cell over and over again. So it increases the activity of those brain cells. And while um, cocaine blocks the reuptake of all three of the neurotransmitters, the addictive potential of cocaine is mainly associated with its reuptake, blocking rather, the reuptake of dopamine. There are, are neurons that communicate through dopamine that are central to the experience of pleasure. And for lack of a better term, I'm going to call it in the pleasure center of the brain, these dopaminergic neurons get activated, and that's how animals, people too, experience pleasure. And what cocaine does is sort of hijacks the pleasure center by blocking the reuptake of dopamine in the pleasure center, which increases um, the sense of pleasure, giving you the euphoria that you get, and it makes you want to do it again. It activates the part of the brain that tells you that, hey, this feels good, let's do it again. And that's, that's really how cocaine acts in the brain, in the pleasure center of the brain. Now, this pleasure center of the brain wasn't built into us so that we could enjoy cocaine. <laughs> the pleasure center of the brain is built into the brains of all animals, including people down from rats and mice on up to people, basically to make sure we do the things that are important for us to survive and reproduce. So sex and eating are two natural activities that tend to increase activity in the pleasure center of the brain. And what cocaine does, again, by blocking this, the reuptake of this neurotransmitter dopamine, tends to sort of hijack this system and, uh, and causes the addiction. 
Now, I guess I didn't talk about methamphetamine. Methamphetamine not only blocks the reuptake of dopamine in the pleasure center of the brain and elsewhere, it actually stimulates the release of dopamine. And so they're very similar in their activity. Methamphetamine, though, tends to last a whole lot longer than cocaine. It lasts for many, many hours, whereas a cocaine, if you, if you um, snort cocaine, your high will last for about maybe 45 minutes to an hour and a little bit less than that if, if you actually smoke cocaine. So you mentioned that cocaine causes pleasure. Um, can you expand upon that by explaining what are some of the immediate physiological effects of cocaine? So when you use cocaine, it's a stimulant. So your, your heart starts to race, you get agitated, you get excited, you get euphoric, and you feel really, really good, and you want to do it again. Now, if it goes further, some of the bad effects of this overstimulation can be things like hearing voices, Having false beliefs called delusions can be sometimes be very scary. Uh, those are sort of the bad effects uh, of cocaine. But people use it because it gives them energy. It makes them feel euphoric. That's why people use it. Hmm. How do we define a cocaine or stimulant use disorder? Okay. Cocaine or a stimulant use disorder just refers to either a cocaine use disorder or uh, amphetamine or methamphetamine use disorder because they're both considered stimulants. And we do this by using a, an instrument called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 5th Edition, DSM-5. And that lists 11 different criteria that identify you as having a use disorder. So for instance, tolerance and withdrawal. So tolerance means it takes more of the drug to get the same effect after you use it for a while compared to when you first started. Um, withdrawal means that after you stop using, you get uh, uh, signs and, and symptoms that are characteristic of that withdrawal syndrome. Using in a hazardous situation, you use the substance in a way that's dangerous to yourself or others. So for instance, overdose, driving while intoxicated, social interpersonal problems related to use. The substance use has caused relationship problems, conflict with others, um, the drug causes you to neglect major roles that you have. So you fail to meet your responsibilities at work, school, at home. You use a larger amount over a longer period of time. You start using a little bit, but over time you end up using more or using for a longer period of time. And you have repeated attempts to control your use or quit, which are unsuccessful. Um, you spend a lot of time using. Um, you have physical or psychological problems related to use. You give up important activities because of use, and you have cravings. So that's 11 different criteria, all right? So if you have two or three of these criteria, you have a mild substance use disorder. If you have four and five, four to five, you have a moderate. And if you have six or more, you have a severe substance use disorder, and that's how we define it. Thank you. Moving on, what are the symptoms of an acute cocaine intoxication, and how do we treat a cocaine overdose? So in acute intoxication, of course, your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, um, you may get sweaty, shaky, anxious. You can have abnormal heart rhythms as part of a cocaine overdose. Cocaine can cause you to have a seizure. You can have a heart attack. You can have a stroke, all those things. And really, when people come in and they're agitated and their heart rate's up and their blood pressure's up, probably the first thing you want to do is calm them down. So giving them a sedative medication like a benzodiazepine is probably the first and best treatment for someone with an acute intoxication bordering on an overdose. And again, 
you you do the normal things you do in an emergency room to support people, make sure their blood pressure gets under control and their pulse. But mainly the uh, sedatives actually take care of that. And that's probably the first line treatment. What are the long-term health consequences of chronic cocaine use? Yeah, chronic cocaine use, like I said, can sometimes cause heart damage. Um, it can cause you to have a heart attack. It can actually cause damage and cause heart muscle uh, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle. That's one of the long-term effects. If you smoke cocaine, um, that hot vapor going into the lungs can damage the lungs. It's called crack lung. Seizures happen a lot. Strokes happen. Kidney failure can happen. If you take it orally, it, it increases uh, the possibility of having stomach and intestinal ulcers. Uh, lots of different things. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what other drugs are often used with cocaine and what unique dangers this practice poses? Probably the two most common drugs that go along with cocaine are alcohol and opiates. Hmm. And alcohol is really interesting. Almost everybody who uses cocaine will also drink along with the cocaine. And, and that probably has to do with the chemical reaction of alcohol and cocaine. Now, when cocaine gets used, it gets broken down in your body, and the initial metabolites, the breakdown products, aren't psychoactive. They don't have a, the same kind of effect that cocaine does. Benzylecanine is, for instance, one of the chemicals that it mainly gets broken down to. But if you use cocaine in the presence of alcohol, then one of the metabolites that comes up, one of the chemical breakdown products, is cocaethylene. So this is sort of alcohol combined with cocaine, which actually has psychoactive effects, which are similar to cocaine. So it sort of prolongs the high. That's probably why in the 1800s they put cocaine in wine, because it just made the effects of cocaine last much longer than they would ordinarily. So alcohol and cocaine, probably the number one combination that you're going to have. And the second combination is opiates, opiates and cocaine. We think that um, really using them together, it just increases the, the euphoric and the enjoyable effects of both. And of course, using cocaine and opiates together expose you to the risk of potentially an opiate overdose, which is problematic. Cocaine and alcohol together, again, you can uh, get into trouble with excessive sedation from overuse of alcohol. I've seen that happen before. Yeah, these can be dangerous combinations. You talked a little bit about this earlier, but what are the symptoms of cocaine withdrawal and is it dangerous? So one of the interesting things about cocaine is that it often gets used because unlike alcohol or opiates, it doesn't really have a medically significant withdrawal syndrome. Mm. So if you stop using opiates abruptly, you're going to vomit and shake and sweat and have diarrhea and have aches and pains. It's really very, very unpleasant. Likewise, alcohol, when you stop using it abruptly, can have a withdrawal syndrome that can be even more serious than opiate withdrawal and cause seizures and, and um, delirium. Cocaine doesn't have any of those medically significant withdrawal syndromes, which is why people thought it was a safe drug to use and a more positive alternative than alcohol or opiates. But cocaine actually does have a withdrawal syndrome. It's not medically significant, but it actually is very predictive of a more severe disease and a disease that's actually harder to treat. That's what I've been studying for the past 25 years is cocaine withdrawal. And the symptoms of it are tend to be sleep changes, appetite changes, a profound depression, um, anxiety, sometimes even suicidal thoughts. And this actually drives people to the emergency room 
a lot. And still, you see a lot of people that come into the emergency room having used cocaine that are just profoundly depressed and, and suicidal. And so these people that have these more severe cocaine withdrawal symptoms tend to be the ones that are more difficult to treat and just don't do as well in treatment as people that don't have this severe cocaine withdrawal syndrome. So how is cocaine addiction treated? And are there any medications that are effective in this regard? Well, there are no medications that are FDA approved for the treatment of cocaine use disorder, despite my 25 years of trying, and many of us have been trying. Um, We have some medications that appear to be effective to pyramate being one. Uh, That's the one that I've probably studied the most. And that seems to have some effect in, in reducing cocaine use and promoting abstinence. But really, the truth is that the best way to treat cocaine addiction is with psychosocial treatment and counseling. And there's one technique specifically that probably has the most effect, and it's called contingency management. And contingency management simply is rewarding people for not using cocaine. And it was discovered back in the early 90s by Steve Higgins and and, uh, his group up in the University of Vermont. And what Steve discovered was that cocaine use was, well, he's a behavioralist. So he knows that any behavior that's immediately and consistently rewarded is repeated. So cocaine use is immediately and consistently rewarded. If I use cocaine, I'm going to get high. I'm going to get high right now. I'm going to get high every time I use. So that's a behavior that gets repeated. On the other hand, being abstinent from cocaine doesn't necessarily lead to anything positive. I mean, you may get your job back, you may get your life back, but it's going to take a while for that to happen and there's no guarantee. So based on that, behaviorally, cocaine use is perpetuated and cocaine abstinence, not so much. But if you immediately and consistently reward someone for being cocaine abstinent, so you get a cocaine urine drug screen, it comes up negative and you give the person a reward. Um, either vouchers initially that were um, redeemable for goods and and services in the community. You don't want to give a cocaine user cash because that's like one of the biggest triggers for cocaine use. But if you do the rewards, this will promote cocaine abstinence. And it is absolutely the best way to take an actively using cocaine user and make him into a newly abstinent cocaine user is by literally rewarding him directly for cocaine abstinence. So it's called contingency management. That's probably the best way. Um, Cognitive behavioral therapy is also a very good way to help people manage cocaine because what cognitive behavioral therapy tries to teach you to do is how to avoid craving. Craving is triggered by being exposed to things that remind you of prior cocaine use. And so using cognitive behavioral therapy, you can identify what your triggers are and learn how to deal with them, learn how to avoid them, learn how to calm them down when they do occur. So contingency management, absolutely the best. Cognitive behavioral therapy, pretty good. Medications, eh, not so much, and probably topiramate's the best of the bunch. Thank you. And finally, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, You know, people discount cocaine addiction a lot currently. You know, everyone's really focused on opiate addiction, and I understand that. I mean, people are out there dying on the street from opiate overdoses. But sometimes people forget when they focus so much on opiate addiction that people still use cocaine. It is still a problem. And in some populations, more people die from cocaine overdoses than they do from opiate overdoses. And that's actually true in in the African-American population. 
I want to thank you again, Dr. Campman, for sharing your vast knowledge on this subject. I hope you can come by again. Um, that would be my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. 